Hello and welcome. UVA Speaks is a podcast of Lifetime Learning, a division of the Office of Engagement at the University of Virginia. Lifetime Learning brings the knowledge and expertise of UVA's faculty to the university's alumni, friends, and families. My name is Susan Lynch, and I am the Associate Director of Lifetime Learning at the University of Virginia's Office of Engagement. This podcast features Justine Hill Edwards, who's an assistant professor in the Corcoran Department of History at the University of Virginia. Hill Edwards is a scholar of African-American history, specializing in the history of slavery in the United States. Her book, Unfree Markets, The Slaves, the Economy, and the Rise of Capitalism in South Carolina, explores the economic lives of enslaved people, not as property or bonded laborers, but as active participants in their local economies. Unfree Markets provides the fullest account to date of the strategies that enslaved people used to create their own networks of commerce from the colonial period to the Civil War. In this podcast, Professor Hill Edwards will talk with us about her book, Unfree Markets, and share a part of history that I have not understood fully, and I would guess that will be true for many of our listeners. So thank you, Justine, for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. So first, um, how did you come to this topic and, and why did you decide to study it? Well, I first came to this topic when I first started grad school. Um, I was taking a class in slavery in British colonial America, and we were reading about the history of marketplaces in various cities in, um, in the colonial period. And I read about market women who were traditionally enslaved women who would sell and haggle with customers for goods, oftentimes produce. And these women just fascinated me. Um, I was, was immediately intrigued by not just the fact that they, they existed, but that they wielded so much power in marketplaces and in in ports such as uh, Bridgetown, Barbados, and Charleston, South Carolina. And so when I went to look at who else had written about this this topic, I found that there was quite a bit, but not as much as I had expected. And so I decided um, to really focus my research on not just market women, but these kind of economic activities of the, the enslaved that I saw as being so fascinating. Um, one of the, the kind of bigger questions that I continued to have as I started to research and write about this, this topic is in my mind, I always thought that um, the possession of money in some ways would allow um, an in, enslaved person to perhaps have more freedom. And so in my mind, there, there was this direct connection between the ability to have and possess money the ability to buy goods and the greater amounts of freedom that one could have. But as I started to dig into the research, as I started to really focus my my uh, my attention on South Carolina, I started to find that that was not the case. Instead, I found these extensive networks of trade that involved slave men and women. But unfortunately, I didn't see an uptick in, in emancipation. And so it, it led me to start to complicate my understanding of the relationship between money and freedom, especially during the period of slavery in America. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what, so what was the relationship between the economy of slavery and then the economy of enslaved people? Well, I see them as being tightly connected. Um, in some ways, the, the, the economy of slavery perhaps would not have grown 
without the kind of economic activity of the of the enslaved, especially in the 19th century. But in some ways, it was the the fact that the enslaved really relied on the economic activity that slavery produced, um, so that they they could buy goods that they wanted or or needed. And so, in many ways, um, the kind of bigger, larger macro economy of slavery um, was tightly connected to the micro economy of the enslaved, and and that's what what I find really fascinating, and that's what I tease out in the book. Can you explain a bit more then about the relationship between capitalism and slavery? Yeah, when when I started to um, reformulate this to a book manuscript from a PhD dis dissertation, um, I started to think more and more about the conversation that was happening amongst historians about the relationship between capitalism and slavery. And at first it wasn't, capitalism wasn't a question or a topic that I was really grappling with. But as I started to reconceive of the project as a book, um, I started to think and read more about how capitalism as a lens could actually help me better understand the economic lives of the enslaved. And so in many ways I see the the economic lives of the the enslaved as being kind of part and parcel of the growth and the, the rise of American capitalism, especially after the American Revolution. Um, what I found in my sources, which included account books and legal records, slave narratives, most certainly traveler narratives, was that um, was that enslaved men and women thought critically about their economic activities. They thought critically about how they would hustle, how they would carve out time to earn money, to earn wages, to buy goods, their attempts to possess property, their, their interest in, in, in trade, really. Um, all of these activities kind of form the, the foundation for what we would consider modern forms of capitalist enterprise. Um, and so I, I found it fascinating that I could become a part of this really important conversation that historians were having about the genesis of American capitalism and how it was so, so attached to the rise of American slavery. But I was interested in how the enslaved, not just as property, but as economic uh, participants, um, played in that rise, um, both in um, a concerted way, but in a coerced and forced way as well. Yeah, that's really something that I hadn't um, really understood myself. So that's really mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Why is South Carolina the focus of your book? And, and then how can we also see South Carolina to understand the slaves economy and the slave holding South as sort of as a whole? Sure. Well, at first I, wanted to do a comparative study. Um, I was really interested in places like Jamaica and Barbados and wanting to do a comparative study be between one of those two places in South Carolina. But as I got into the archive, I, I just found such a wealth of sources. I was finding, um, again, account books, um, the history of the kind of laws of slavery too proved to be very generative. Um, and so as I started to find more and more sources that proved that the slaves economy was not just this kind of underground type of activity that had to be hidden. In fact, it was very visible. <laughs> um, mm. 
it it was in many ways accepted by enslavers, by um, working class whites, by free pe free people of color, um, and most certainly by by the enslaved them themselves. I was finding all of this evidence that um, not only was it such a, a kind of a clear part of South Carolina's culture of slavery, but in many ways, enslavers worked to protect it. Um, and so it meant that, to me, it meant that South Carolina is kind of special in this, this story. And, and in addition, South Carolina was the first colony founded with slavery at its foundation. And so the founders of Carolina as the colony in 1670 actually established the colony for, for the proliferation of slavery. I find that fascinating. And I did not know that. I did not. Know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, South Carolina was the first colony founded for the introduction of slavery and the the kind of productive capacity of the the enslaved to build colonist wealth, um, which I find again increasingly fascinating. Um, and when we talk about the 1860s, when we talk about the outbreak of the Civil War, of course, South Carolina is the first state to secede, and so in many ways. South Carolina is the perfect place because economically, if not politically, it was in the, the vanguard of slave holding colonies and then states. Um, and so kind of given that landscape, I thought it was just fascinating that the enslaved could continue to earn wages, could go out and buy goods, and that there were there was a consistent back and forth between the needs and the wants, at least e economically, of enslavers and how the enslaved kind of fit their economic activity within the culture of slavery in this really important state. So it was taking place, though, the same type of thing in other states across the South as well? Yeah. Yes, it was. It was. Um, if anything, you can find evidence of the, the enslaved engaging in these types of activities throughout slave-holding colonies and then states. Um, South Carolina, most certainly. Savannah, Georgia was kind of one of these bigger cities as well that uh, be, began to emerge economically um, in the colonial period. And there's evidence of the, the enslaved kind of creating marketplaces there as well. And then most certainly in places like New Orleans, um, there was a very visible uh, kind of black enslaved population that were trading and haggling in marketplaces there, and so, um, and so, in some ways, to understand the the economic history of slavery, one really does have to understand what the the enslaved, not as property, but as participants, were bringing to the the rise of American capitalism. Right, and and yet, as you were saying, it did not increase their levels of freedom, which is such a you know wow. So yeah, exactly. And, exactly. and yet, yeah. And one of the um, one of the kind of broader questions that I don't get into quite as much in the the book, but I'm think, thinking about now, and hopefully it will kind of spur conversation, is this kind of cozy relationship that we often have between kind of economic freedom and political freedom, right? We we often think, especially in American culture, that the more economic freedom that one has, or perhaps the more economic power that one has, that directly translates into political power. And we see with the enslaved that that was often not the case, 
that no matter how much they they worked, how hard they worked to earn wages, um, it didn't mean that they could necessarily transform that work into freedom. And that is perhaps a bigger lesson in terms of our understanding of capitalism. But I think too, it can help us more understand kind of why the period of the the war and reconstruction continues to be so politically fraught. It's because it was supposed to be this moment of political freedom. But as we we see in the history of reconstruction, it doesn't quite play out in that way. Yeah, and it's one of those areas of history that I wanna do some more looking into myself. Reconstruction was such a um, complex time and it's one of the things I wanna delve into myself a little bit more. <laughs> I have some reading to do. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> so, and, and finally, what is it that you want readers to take away from your book? Um, so the big themes and things that you want them to take away. Sure. Well, I, I hope that readers come away with uh, just a better understanding of how slavery functioned and the lives and the struggles of the enslaved. I think that um, that kind of a popular understanding of what slavery was um, can be perhaps overturned or complicated by by reading on free markets, especially thinking about the enslaved as having some economic power, but not but not enough that would transform that power into freedom. I think that that's really important. Um, and two, just think thinking more critically about the history of capitalism. I think it's such a fascinating time to be a historian studying this topic because in many ways there are not direct parallels, but in order for us to have kind of a prehistory of these really important political conversations about wealth and economic inequality, especially the racial wealth gap, we have to fully understand where that comes from. And I think without having a robust understanding of how slavery continues to influence so much of our kind of institutions and even the language that we use to talk about um, inequality, I think we have to study and understand slavery. And so hopefully this can be a tool for readers to begin to have those conversations. Yeah, help us put a little bit of a different lens on how we're looking at today and, and the importance of, of, of equality, economic equality now. So yeah, exactly. so well, thank you so much, Justine, um, for sharing this information about your book and your research. And it's it's such interesting and fascinating history. And as you're saying, it really helps to expand the narrative of enslaved in the United States. And um, it's such an important uh, topic of research to expand that understanding of the people and their experiences. So I really appreciate you taking time today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening for upcoming podcasts and other lifetime learning programming, recordings, and blogs. Please visit our website at engagement.virginia.edu backslash learn. You can also find our podcasts and other recordings on Spotify. Search for the UVA Lifetime Learning Channel. So thanks again, and we look forward to you taking part in future lifetime learning programs. Mm -hmm.